0: Otherwise, on SAFM. My guest is Dr. Siegel, and uh, welcome to you, Dr. Siegel.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us. We we're talking, and I know you you've got to leave us at a particular time, but we're going to try and stretch it as much as we can, Dr. Siegel. Uh-huh. We're talking early puberty. Can you just uh, explain that to us? What do we talk about when we talk about puberty?
1: Right. So puberty is an event that happens to every boy and every little girl, mm-hmm. and at slightly different ages. So girls typically start puberty earlier than boys, about a year earlier. So the typical age of onset of puberty in a girl is around about 10, 10 and a half, and in boys it's closer to 11 and a half. But that's the median. If you look at the earliest onset that we accept as normal is eight years in a girl and nine years in a boy to start puberty.
0: And how does it present itself usually? Is it is it the breast budding and, and and that sort of thing?
1: Exactly correct. So it's actually very different in boys and girls. Girls, it's a lot easier to figure it out because the first sign of puberty in a girl is breast budding. Um, so that usually starts at about ten and a half and then progresses relatively rapidly over the following two years. Um, in boys, it's testicular enlargement is the first clinical sign. So it's very difficult for parents to figure out if their boys are on puberty. They're usually looking for facial hair or underarm hair or something else, but actually the sign starts a long way before that with testicular enlargement.
0: Now, is it, is it common, and, and, and usually puberty then is linked to sexuality. Is, is, is that a correct No,
1: link? No, that, that's probably a little bit of a myth. Um, and and I, I, lots of people are concerned that girls, especially who develop early puberty, are more likely to be molested or um, have sexual abuse acted upon them, but it's actually probably not true. So in animal models, testosterone and estrogen levels are very, very highly correlated with sexual behavior. But in human beings, our brains tend to override most of those impulses so that it's more of a high cortical issue in humans than it is a pure hormone level.
0: Okay, so parents can breathe.
1: Yes, they can relax.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, moms are dealing with, moms are usually the the, the cold face of of especially young girls starting to, 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 to develop. And and usually we're not prepared for this and, and don't know how to deal with it, especially because now they're becoming younger and younger. Do we understand why puberty is setting in? I, I, at I'm an not actually
1: end? sure that it is happening younger and younger. If you look at data, the only massive published data comes from the United States, which was published nearly 10 years ago already, hmm. looking at mainly African-American girls. But the problem with America is that in that study they were looking for breast development and they did it all photographs. Okay. So because they've got an obesity epidemic in America, if you look at a photograph of an overweight child that looks like they have breast tissue development, so there was never any confirmation in that trial that that was actual breast tissue they were looking at. Okay. And we kind of get to know that because the average age of onset of your first period, which usually happens at about 12 years, three months, did not change in that study, even though they saw breast development happening earlier. Having said that, that's kind of a overall rule of thumb that, Probably puberty is not happening a lot earlier, but it does happen earlier and earlier every generation. So, for example, girls in 2014, 2015 are definitely starting um, puberty a little bit earlier than they did in the 70s and 60s and 50s. So that is an an international trend, but it's not dramatically shifted towards 7- and 8-year-olds suddenly going into puberty. That's still unusual
0: could other ailments then offset uh, early early puberty for instance you mentioned obesity maybe but are, are there other diseases that a, a child could suffer from that would uh, ex- uh, kind of bring it closer
1: okay so so the, if you look at most diseases in fact most medical conditions will delay puberty so for example the sicker you are your body says hey it's not time to go and have babies it's not time to do any of this kind of stuff let's try and delay this as long as possible and just stay alive so most major medical conditions will actually delay puberty. The only ones that can bring it on a little bit earlier, as you mentioned, was obesity. So it can bring it forward a little bit Mm -hmm. um, because you've definitely got a lot more hormones floating around in your body. Um, And apart from that, there's a bunch of medical conditions which can cause early puberty, but that's why we investigate kids with early puberty, to find those conditions that are inappropriately presenting, and that's their presenting feature, is the early puberty. So it could be very occasionally... Um, inherited mutations in some of the receptors that govern um, ovarian function. It could be tumors. Um, So those are the kind of things that we go and look for. The most common cause of early puberty would be a brain insult. So somebody having a history of either meningitis or Mm -hmm. encephalitis or major head injury, children with cerebral palsy and other brain injuries often present with early puberty.
0: Okay, so, so we, we, again, we, might, we can scratch that off and not worry about it at all.
1: Well, not, I mean, I think the one caveat to, to put in there is if children are developing puberty way before eight years of age, so early onset of either pubic hair development or breast development, I think it's worthwhile investigating, and especially for boys, just to make sure that there's nothing else underlying it that's causing that to be your only clinical symptom of an underlying condition that might otherwise be missed.
0: Okay, so I'm a parent who's worried and I'm looking for signs that the child has either early uh, puberty or is going through puberty totally. As you mentioned, the boys will not uh, show any signs until much later when they start probably growing hair, which is what we look for. But w- what are other signs to look out for for both girls and boys? Do so no-
1: girls typically start with breast development, followed usually about six months later with puberty hair development. Um, And those are about the only two features that you can look for. (coughs) Sorry. Um, Periods, which normally start two years after the onset of breast development, is should not occur within the first two years after starting breast. So if they happen, so, for example, you get breasts last month or the month before and suddenly you start having periods, that's very abnormal. It needs to be investigated. So any girl having periods probably before about nine years of age needs to be investigated. Um, And then in boys, The funny thing is a lot of the the conditions that cause early puberty in boys are pathological. So that means that there's either an underlying tumor or enzyme problem or some other issue that needs to be investigated and managed. And often the sign that gives that away is boys presenting with bad acne, pubic Mm -hmm. hair development, or penile enlargement Mm -hmm. before their age. And that usually is a clue that there's something else going on and we need to go and look for it. Girls, on the other hand, often start with early puberty and there's no underlying major problem it's just their body clock switching on a little bit earlier so we're much more worried about early puberty in boys than we are in girls but having said that the normal age of onset that we don't get too worried is eight years for a girl and onwards and nine years for a boy but the further you are away from that so if you're a five-year-old or six-year-old we're going to take that a lot more seriously than we will a seven and a half or eight-year-old
0: can we look at the reverse are there cases where there's delayed puberty
1: Yes, absolutely. There's lots and lots of delayed puberty. So that also tends to be a familial trait. So they typically call late bloomers. Mm -hmm. So they usually actually present not so much with a late puberty, they present with a short stature because all their friends start their growth spurt early and they don't have their growth spurt early. So they just carry on growing at the bottom end of the centile and a lot of them come in because of growth issues, not necessarily the puberty. Um, But... The guys with really, really late puberty, both boys and girls, so girls should start having periods by about 12, 12 and a half, and we give them up until about 14 to have periods. Much after that, we start investigating, and also if girls haven't started any breast development by 12 to 13, we get a little bit worried. Mm. Boys who aren't showing signs of puberty by 13 to 14, we start taking that quite seriously as well. And what do you do? Well, we usually investigate the pituitary axis to find out if there's any pituitary problems. Um, and then often what we do is, is just stimulate puberty a little bit, just to keep them abreast with their bodies while we're waiting and watching for puberty to kick in. The older you get and puberty hasn't started yet, the more likely it is that it's a permanent problem and we're going to have to do the full um, pubertal induction and maintenance phase. But the problem is there's not many very good tests that can predict at a 13, 14, 15-year-old level that you're not going to go into puberty. You're not just a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. So often we're sitting there watching and waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually it happens in the majority, but there's a few that it doesn't happen in. But while we're waiting, we usually help them get through puberty by providing either oestrogen or testosterone just to keep them looking like their friends and growing as fast as their friends.
0: Now, have dyes got anything to do with early puberty?
1: So... Chances are yes. The problem is we don't have very good tests to find out how many hormones are in the things that we either eating, touching, putting on our hair, washing our faces or doing any of that kind of stuff. There's hormones in almost all of the things that we have these days, but there's no good chemical test that we can do to find these things. So we not we can't easily do blood or urine tests to find very low levels of these things that must be stimulating the system.
0: If if parents are worried. Uh, are there they, uh, foods like, for instance, milk, cow's milk and those kinds of things that they they could stay away from? To yeah.
1: Uh, the, the the problem with that is if you look at how many people consume those products on a daily basis, you still have a very small percentage of people who are going to run into problems with it. So it might be related to the individual that's receiving it. It's not that their product and how they responded to it. So I see children particularly boys presenting now with breast development hmm. and that's without a doubt something in the environment that's triggering that Triggering that. but then there's other boys even in the same family who are being exposed to exactly the same products with no c- clinical symptoms at all so it might be that that individual's receptor density or the way that they respond to that chemical is different and that's why we're seeing the signs it might not be that there's way abnormal levels in that product.
0: I think what makes matters worse is, is uh, the kind of language or kind of conversations that have to happen between parents and children at this point of puberty across across the board, whether it's boys and girls. Because I think uh, we're not prepared as parents to to be speaking the right language, but also we we overreact when things don't happen as as we expect them to happen. So what should we be doing, and when do we come and see you, Dr. Siegel?
1: Well, the, the kids are getting very, very good education at schools for the most part, <laughs> um, which usually surprises the parents, that the kids actually know a lot more than they give them credit for. Um, but you're right, those conversations aren't easy to have. They often get skirted around and, and ignored. But I think the major concerns are somebody who's – who, if, if a child ever voices a concern about puberty, either that their body parts aren't developing adequately or body parts are too small or they're being picked on or teased, That's always an indication for a referral, almost irrespective of the age. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the absolute outliers, like children, girls less than seven or eight presenting with puberty, boys less than nine, and then the ones probably 13 to 14 and up. Those are clear categories where I think are referrals in order. Um, for, For the rest, it's kind of almost a play it by ear because at the end of the day, the majority of people will go into puberty. It might be late. It might be a little bit early, but at the end of the day, there's unlikely to be an underlying pathology so you could skip a lot of referrals by just watching and waiting but the problem is sometimes you need a lot of reassurance and i get to see lots of it because that's what i do every day but for the average gp or some pediatricians might not get to be so comfortable saying hey is this what it is and often they'll just give me a call run through the case with me and i'll tell them and i'll reassure them over the phone so a lot of the time it's it's just getting to chat to your healthcare professional and if they have issues they can either give me a call or get online or something just to reassure them but i think it's worthwhile raising the concerns if you have any and it it might be a trivial concern but it's worth raising and at least putting it to bed if you have issues
0: and young girls who get early menstruations as well uh, parents then run and put contraceptives and 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 and, and, yeah.
1: and, and right and, and no, that's the... probably not what should be happening for mm-hmm. girls can have periods down to about nine or ten years of age. And actually, often when you take family history from those families, they'll say, oh, but the mom was also ten and the granny was nine. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of normal for that family. Um, and usually the first period might occur and then the next one might be three, four, six, ten months down the line. So you don't really have to panic. And the kids actually handle them a lot better than the parents think. And often you're just using panty liners and pads rather than tampons or anything else for girls. So Mm -hmm. that's usually not an issue. But we try and stay as far away from the oral contraceptives as possible. Because at that age, if you've still got open growth plates, the dosage of estrogen in the pill is too high, and it will get the growth plates to close prematurely. So it can affect growth. Talk to
0: us Um, about those open growth plates. Sorry.
1: So so girls' growth plates close, usually they finish growing at about 15, 16, they've finished the majority of their growth, and boys mostly finish most of their growth by 17 to 18. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a 9- or 10-year-old girl that you're going to put on an oral contraceptive pill, she's going to be exposed to much higher doses of hormones than she normally would have seen at that age. And it's those hormones that close your growth plates for you.
0: Fantastic.
1: So your growth plates could close and you'll finish growing prematurely.
0: So conversation is important and, and also at least seeing a medical practitioner who will help uh, steer the conversation the right direction if parents are worried.
1: Exactly. And they can always send me an email, give me a call, and I'm very, I I take lots of calls. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I
0: can imagine. On,
1: I don't have to see anywhere near most of them. So I can
0: no, imagine. So yeah. give us your email address.
1: It's david
0: mm-hmm.
1: at endo, E-N-D-O, at mm-hmm. C-O dot Z-A.
0: Not CO.ZA. And, and, David, let's let's reiterate that it does not mean sexual activity.
1: Absolutely not. I, I I could count on one hand all the children that I've seen in the past for these conditions that have had issues with that.
0: Okay. Fantastic. And you have a website, David?
1: Um, yes, www.endo.co.za. Fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for your time it's and good pleasure. luck for the rest of your day.
1: Hey, thank you very much. Thank Keep you. Well. Bye-bye. Yes, bye-bye.
0: Bye. So if you are worried about your daughter or your son as far as uh, puberty is concerned and you have questions, Dr. David Siegel, David at endo.co.za E-N-D-O dot dot and uh, www.endo.co.za uh, dot 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 is how you find Dr. David Siegel. When we come back, we're talking about early motherhood, when young girls become mothers. How are they dealing with emotional, financial, physical stresses and really just the unpreparedness of being a mother? We'll speak with Dr. Simone Honigman, who is the Director and Founder of the Perinatal Mental Health Project. After this. Otherwise. Otherwise on SAFM. Dr. Simone Honigman, hello. Welcome to Otherwise. Hello Shadow, it's great to be here. Well, great for you to talk to us. Tell me what the Perinatal Mental Health Project does.
2: We are a project that addresses um, the problem of the common mental disorders around pregnancy and in the first year after delivery. We know that in South Africa, about one in three women will experience depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. during pregnancy or in that first year after birth. And we are trying to address this crisis. We're trying to integrate mental health care into the routine care that women access, whether it be at the maternity units or whether it be through the social services um, sector. We're wanting to make mental health everybody's business because we have to think like that if one in three women are affected. So we provide services. Um, at three midwife units where we provide um, a full comprehensive mental health care package. We conduct some research to refine and evaluate our service to make sure that we can advocate that the government takes up this so that every single woman in this country has access to, to quality integrated mental health care when she's getting the rest of her maternity care. And we, we work um, in training, training of health staff, um, social, st- social work staff, and we also work with policy and advocacy development. So those are our four programs, services, training, research, and, and advocacy.
0: You are a busy project, I must say. Not okay. many of
2: us, but we, <laughs> but we do a lot, yeah.
0: No, but, you know, childbirth is natural and often uh, people overlook the way they feel. After the birth of a child while nursing because they think it's, it's what comes with it. And you say a lot of uh, moms would be would have certain conditions um, Do they often know what they are? Do they present themselves to you and say I'm not feeling too good or do they understand what happens after childbirth?
2: Well, we in fact see most of our mothers during pregnancy because in the public service here in South Africa, women are attending during pregnancy um, a lot more than they attend postnatally. Mm-hmm. And we, this is this is good because we have an opportunity to pick up problems early. So, in fact, your question about do people present and say I'm experiencing an emotional problem or a mental health problem? The mm-hmm. answer is, on the whole, not. Mm-hmm. People don't um, generally speak that language. Don't generally speak the mental health language. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the the care providers, whether it's a nurse, a doctor, or a social worker. Is also seldom speaking the language. How, how are you feeling inside? We're wanting to know. Have you taken your tablets? Is your baby growing? Have you put on weight? This is your blood pressure. These are. The, this is the language that people are speaking um, in the kind of um, care provider environment.
0: Mm.
2: So, in fact, we need to to break down these barriers and and, and assist everybody with understanding what mental health is because people don't come forward and, 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 and self-identify as needing help on the whole. So one of the things we do is we, we try to make routine screening questionnaires. And there are some valid, quite robust mental health screening questionnaires that we, we are testing and using so that when a woman has a routine history taken, um, when we're asking about her past health history, her operations, her allergies, we're also asking around mental health symptoms and risk factors for mental health symptoms. And that's we think, is going to provide a very important key entry point to care for women.
0: Hmm. And and so, so what is your suggested time of intervention when we're dealing with a new mother or even, a, you know, a, a repeat mother, if I may call them that? But what is the time for your type of intervention? When should should a, a pregnant woman be consulting you? The earlier the better. Um,
2: the earlier one can, you see, there's this, this A mental health, the common mental health problems are not mysterious at all. We know what the risk profile is. We know that in terms of the natural history, um, symptoms start off less severe and they become more severe. So the earlier one can come forward or the earlier one can detect through screening that this is somebody at risk or this is somebody in the early stages of experiencing some kind of depression or anxiety or common mental health problem, the easier it is to treat and the quicker it is, that people will get better. And people Simone, certainly do get better.
0: Simone, please stay. On. Just keep that whole thought for me. We're taking news headlines, and we're back with you in a bit. Sure. It's Otila uh, sako with new he- headlines. Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. A top ally of Zimbabwe's sacked vice president Joyce Mujuru has been found dead in his car at his farm outside Harare. Two issues are at the centre of arguments being heard in the case between Kosatu and expelled affiliate NUMSA in the High Court in Johannesburg. One is whether NUMSA's bid to participate in Kosatu's Special National Congress next month is urgent. The other is whether NUMSA can appeal against its expulsion at the Special Congress or must wait for the Federation's Ordinary Congress in September. And wage talks in the gold and coal sectors are set to start later this afternoon, with the Chamber of Mines gearing itself for one of the toughest negotiations in years. Details at 2 o'clock. Otherwise, on SAFM. My guest is Dr. Simone Honickman, director and founder of the Perinatal Mental Health Project. And eventually I'd like us to talk about the stresses of being a young mother, but we're just talking in general now about those challenges and, and when actually um, there should be the screenings available for would-be mothers, and, and Dr. Simona interrupted you there.
2: I think we were just speaking about the earlier the better, the earlier yes. one detects um, mental health problems, the better, um, the easier it is to treat and the quicker people get better. However, if people slip through the net or only present after delivery of the baby, which, which can certainly happen, um, there it's never too late. Um, and I think the earlier people identify for themselves that they're experiencing a problem, or their care provider identifies that there is a problem, um, the, the sooner things can be done. And there are a range of a range of of, of interventions that can can very, be very effective for women with depression and anxiety around around birth and
0: pregnancy. Which would then be worse for a young unprepared mother because we've seen that teenage pregnancy figures have have gone up and and or are, are recorded more I'm not sure which whether they, they they they're rising or now they're being detailed in in you know in in larger numbers but um how do you and I don't know if you've had any 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 access to young teenage uh, moms yeah. Um, it must be worse for them to deal with this because exactly. they're not so prepared. Absolutely. Uh,
2: I think we, we know from, from the research that um, adolescent mums are double the risk of experiencing the common mental disorders than older mothers and than non-adolescents. They literally have 200% the risk of experiencing depression and anxiety during pregnancy. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's at all surprising. Uh, we know in terms of the onset of mental health problems, adolescence is, is a peak time in the life course for people to to start presenting for the first time with mental health problems anyway, um, but if you take an ordinary adolescent who is going through the ordinary life changes um, and challenges associated with this big transition, um, the challenges of developing one's identity with peer pressure, Mm. with conflicts at home, at school which are pretty ordinary for, for any adolescent phase. And you add to that um, the experience of, of being a pregnant and being forced out of childhood very abruptly into into taking on on a completely different role. It's not surprising that these young women are at much, much increased risk of experiencing depression and anxiety. They're much more vulnerable socially as well. And they often, um, because of being pregnant, are excluded from social circles. There is increased conflict at home because mm-hmm. of of the pregnancy. They're ostracised. They, which and, and in fact, losing social connections is is a big risk factor for depression and, and anxiety. So they face those risks as well.
0: And they ostracized during at, at a time when they really need support and the love and the yeah. you you know and and and, and the reassurance yeah um, um what what should we do for these young girls because they they do uh, the first thing we would ask them is not to fall pregnant at an early age, but that's not possible, but now that they are and we've identified the pressures that, and the challenges they go through, is there anything that the health system can do for them? Or even the, the communities can do for them to give them that support.
2: Absolutely, I think simply realising that they're a vulnerable group and and um, getting away from the kind of shame and blame trap that so many of us fall into. Um, I think the, the the kind of national response to to um, adolescent pregnancy has really been one of moral outcry, which mm-hmm. I think further further um isolate these women mm-hmm. and further remove them from 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 of ways of accessing support, so we have to re we have to reframe the issue and understand that this that that uh, adolescent girls. Um, who are pregnant or are mothers are a vulnerable group. They need increasing support. They need particular attention. That services to them need to be adolescent friendly. Um, they need to take into account um, schooling issues. Um, we need to involve schools in the process. We need to to look at ways in which um, life orientation is is taught. How meaningfully is is um, is it taught? Uh, we need to understand and appreciate that many um, young women are becoming pregnant through coercive sex, um, and it's often the first experience of sex. If you look at the research of teenage mothers, their first experience of of sex is one of sexual violence mm. of some kind or another. So we need to kind of appreciate the kind of the, the full the full picture behind the problem and and adapt. Uh, accordingly, to be as caring and supportive as possible and to to realize that an adolescent may may be showing this this fear this loneliness this isolation this overwhelming sense of sadness in a variety of age appropriate ways she mm. may be rude she may be aggressive mm. she may be withdrawn or 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 be Uh, um, the good girl and all of these may simply be signs of of underlying um, fear of underlying terror and and sadness and loneliness
0: you know apart from the emotional and physical stresses there's also the financial stresses but more than anything else if we do not look after this woman it may translate itself to um, a, a problem child the child she's giving birth to
2: Absolutely. We need to consider that um, she needs to be supported to be the best parent that she can. And if she isn't able to be a parent, is there somebody else who can co-parent with her, Mm -hmm. whether it is a a sibling, her own parents, the father of the child, Mm -hmm. um, other supportive people? We do need to consider the next generation. And and interestingly enough, some research that came out of the States looking at um, inner city teenage mothers showed that those teenage mothers who were depressed were more likely to become pregnant again Mm. within 12 to 24 months than teenage mothers who were not depressed. So addressing the mental health needs of teenagers is In fact, a form of contraception, because if you have an assertive, um, well-adolescent, she's less likely to, to get involved in risky behavior. She's more likely to be able to negotiate safe sex, to be able to stay in school, to be able to parent well. So I think if you address the mental health needs of adolescents, you're actually uh, killing a lot of birds with one stone in that's, terms of of outcomes.
0: Dr. honeyman that's that's, that's absurd. I mean, w- why would they want to go back to the pain, to that isolation, to that, and fall pregnant again? Is it, it has it become does it become a comfort space then for them? Uh,
2: there are a lot of reasons why um, adolescents become pregnant. Um, you know, for we. For some women, for some young girls, um having a child represents creating something that will love them unconditionally, mm-hmm. and many young girls who find themselves in in situations like that have not had and have not experienced unconditional love so there's a there's a fantasy that this baby will represent um, the love that they never have had mm-hmm. for some. For some young girls, access to contraception is just really complicated and difficult Um, and there is a fear that they will be judged by the family planning clinic or um, that it will be discovered that they're using some form of contraception Mm. or the clinic is inaccessible or open at times that are not convenient for a school-going person. So access to contraception is another issue um and as i was mentioning i think a lot of um, young women are in uh, relationships that are, are coercive in some form or another um and and often sexually coercive so it is not necessarily of their choice that they're becoming um that they're becoming pregnant
0: i wonder though about the immorality of sex which is how we've presented all the time and this is why it's kept such a, a big secret and eventually, until until uh, young girls fall pregnant, because it's it, it's it's always never done in a safe space where parents are um, are comfortable with it. Shouldn't we, as a society, change our attitude towards um, the the I, I suppose the, just the the act of the sexual act and when it ought to happen, when it, it you know almost treated like you know um, I don't know uh, getting getting a a qualification at school, you know, uh, being excited about it and being able to talk our children through it. I'm not sure what I'm suggesting here, but I'm thinking the fact that it's immoral is, yeah. is what gives us most of the problems that we have.
2: Exactly. I mean, I think what you're suggesting is, is quite a profound cultural shift <laughs> in thinking about sex and sexuality across many cultures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, and I think I think you're right. As soon as people demonise or, or moralise, um, sex it 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 creates um, it, it creates there's a power that it has mm. to uh, to be to be a force for for really big problems when mm. it goes underground mm. so as soon as one is able to talk it talk it out and and, and speak about it and open up the issue instead of um, condemning condemning the issue, then it comes into the open and one can one can address the problem and ensure that Sexuality for adolescents is something that's healthy, that's spoken about, that's celebrated. Yeah. But I think I think we're calling for big cultural shifts to happen <laughs> in 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 our generation. Um, well, we can we, challenging. can
0: we can have those dinner table discussions, you know, around this, you know, in, in small groups. Because my fear is this, you know, while we worried about our young kids having sex, a lot of them are using drugs. Which then makes the passage of the act of sex easier, and and it's not questioned. And and with, with with STDs and HIV on you know on the rise, then we're dealing with bigger problems if we don't deal with the initial one of decriminalising sex, if you like.
2: Yeah, I mean it's difficult to to unpick what is the underlying the underlying problem, and I think it depends on on one's orientation but I, I I think a lot of it has a, a lot of it has to do with the environment in which adolescents find themselves in at home and at school mm-hmm. what's happening um, among the peer group and how are they parented and how do they view themselves what is their self esteem mm-hmm. um, in those environments so why is it that one one adolescent is able to say I'm not going to use this drug. I'm not going to have sex with this person. Or if I am, I'm going to use a condom in this form of contraception. Oh. Whereas another adolescent will not. Um, so, my, my feeling is that um, there will always be drugs out there, and there will always be adolescent sex out there. Um, it's it's how we equip. Um, our teenagers to go into those situations and to manage them in the most healthy way for themselves so they feel empowered to do so. And I think a lot of that comes with with parenting and a lot Mm. of it comes with the culture that that schools um, create around these issues.
0: Mm. Talking about parenting, and, and, and that's a very good point you bring up, because we're not all good parents, but how do we make sure that if, if I realize that I'm probably not winning with my children, um, is it easy for me to go and knock on some door and say, Dr. Honigman, I'm battling mentally with my children and I'm not too sure how to com- communicate with them anymore. Are you able to help me? I'm not sure what, what your question is. No, my question is if I think I'm lacking as a parent. Yeah. Am, I, am I able to approach, uh, not yourself uh, specifically, but yeah. is there is there a place to approach um, and and safely as well, you know, without without uh, exposing myself.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a range of resources that one can draw upon. Um, and some people will go online, and there are various parenting forums online and parenting advice columns. Others will speak with their friends. I mean, I think quite often one gets a lot of wisdom from one's own community. Um, the Parent Center is an excellent organization. It's based here in Cape Town. Um, and they have a range of um, opportunities available for parents who who are who, who wanting support from one on one counseling to to group work to to various workshops that are provided. Um, and I know that there. Um, I think Soul City provides some very interesting materials, mm-hmm. um, some photocomic materials for for adolescents to to read themselves, or for parents to work through with adolescents on on some of the issues around sexuality and around substances and things like that um i think i think the i mean i think the key principles are to 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 remember that one's never going to do it all right and one's never going to do it all wrong and one, it's a muddling through situation, but as long as there's communication and ability to to talk talk about things mm-hmm. um then then a lot can be achieved
0: and teach people i see you've got you've got you've got a midwife or midwifery unit in, in your in, in your organisation do you? Or do you train
2: our train services, our three service sites are located in three midwifery units. Yeah.
0: Okay, and you do you do train um, regularly other, other community carers? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because I, yes. I, I know that with midwives, uh, that, you know that we it, it, midwives cover a lot of, of what other health uh, units um, may may let slip through. I think because the importance of a midwife I think is more than just help deliver the baby
2: right I mean quite often you'll see a midwife on several occasions during pregnancy and afterwards so one has the opportunity especially if there is some kind of continuity of care to build some kind of relationship Mm. and um, these these health workers are can be an enormous um, resource um, for for talking through all sorts of um, health and and sometimes, as you say, even parenting issues, but. Um but I think one would have to explore with with the person whether they are comfortable speaking about adolescent issues. I'm not sure if their scope of practice would extend <laughs> to that, that far.
0: Well, yeah. um, but I'm just glad that at least we have midwives to, to, to care for people because we lacked midwives for a while, and, and now that we're getting a lot more midwives into health, health spaces, I'm, I'm very excited about that. And you also, I, I think then... Uh, uh, Do you train staff within communities? Do you train people within communities?
2: Yeah. Our training program is quite diverse in that we are training yeah, everybody from community care workers, community health workers, up to postgraduate um, advanced psychiatric nurses, um, undergraduates, postgraduates, in-service training people, both in the health sector and the social development sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and our training rests on three principles. we kind of imparting knowledge around the common mental disorders and what what can be done at a primary level. Um, to address depression and anxiety. We also train to impart um, particular skills and, and we're looking at the empathic engagement skills. So we're trying to to get the caring profession's um, quality of care more refined and honed around empathy. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at how to sustain these care providers because there's there's such a big burden on on them. And there's such a care care load and that there's a lot of burnout and there's a lot of attrition the of the staff. So we're looking at developing self-care components to the training as well.
0: Well, fantastic. Uh, how do people get hold of you and your organisation? We have a website, mm-hmm. and
2: there is an uh, an info email address on the website where you can contact us if you're interested in training. Okay. Unfortunately, we cannot provide services to anybody other than those mothers who are delivering at our three service sites. So we can't.
0: That's fine, but I'm sure. But we do will...
2: provide training across you know across a big broad sector, and our website is www. dot mm-hmm. P. Mm-hmm. That's for perinatal mental health project. Mm-hmm.
0: org. Well, Dr. Honigman, thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us, and hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. But thank you for your time. Thanks,
2: Shadow. It's been a privilege. You
0: Thanks. take care. Bye bye. Uh, that website again, www.pmhp.za.org and there's an info email address right there. It's time now for ShopShop. Shop.